to tell you you could be seated, but you can be seated. If you want to stand, you can stand, but uh, hey, no big deal. Wow, so, so excited to be starting this series today. Uh, haters gonna hate. Everybody just say, haters gonna hate. Somebody texted me this week and said, and taters gonna tate. So I don't know exactly, but what are you gonna do, right? Hey, how many people have ever uh, felt, well, that's a dumb question. Of course, we've all felt rejection. Do you remember the first time that you felt rejection? I do. I was, I was thinking this week, just knowing what we were talking about, I was trying to think, okay, Jason, when was the, when was the first time you ever like, felt rejected? And uh, I, w- I remembered it was in seventh grade. Now, you got to know me. I grew up in a very, um, uh, just a uh, religious in the best possible way of the word, not in a bad way, but just a very religious, um, semi-conservative home. And so uh, we didn't do several things, you know, like watch The Simpsons. I don't know why, but we didn't watch The Simpsons. And, um, you know, we didn't go to the movies hardly ever, uh, unless it was like Home Alone or something. And then uh, and, and then we didn't dance, okay? You just don't dance, okay? And, uh, and so, which is always made for weird weddings because nobody was dancing. But anyway, you didn't dance. And so I grew up not knowing how to dance at all. And still to this day, I mean, if you've seen the video for the haters going, hey, I mean, I got some moves. But, you know, I'm just, I don't really know how to dance. And so um, I decided I want to go to this seventh grade dance. And so I go and... You know, classic, at least back in that day, I don't know, I haven't been to a middle school dance in a while, but classic back in that day, you know, guys are on this side, girls are on this side, and, you know, when the slow song would come on, maybe, you know, we'd merge together a little bit, who knows. And I wanted to, I wanted to like, talk to some of these girls so bad, but I, you know, I, I didn't know how to dance. And so, halfway through the night, this girl comes up to me, that was in one of my classes, I knew her, and she said, hey, would you like to dance? I knew before I ever went to the dance that I didn't know how to dance, but I had never thought through what I would do in that moment when it was time to dance, right? So we walk out to the middle of the dance floor, and all I know is what I've seen like in movies and TV. So in that moment, taking the lead like I naturally do, I just stick my hand way out here, and I put my hand on her hip like we're about to waltz or something, okay? And in seventh grade at this middle school dance, we're just doing one of these, okay? out in the middle of the dance floor, all right? Because I don't know how to dance. And so halfway through the song, she lets go of my hands and turns around and walks off. Yeah. And I'm left standing there in the middle of the dance floor, totally rejected and, uh, and feeling, some, feeling some embarrassment that night. Now, what I'm not going to talk to you about during the series is like the rejection of, uh, you know, girlfriends and boyfriends or things like that. That's not where we're going. But I do want to talk about the idea of rejection. I do want to talk about the idea of people who doubt you, the people who criticize you, people who hate on you, people who don't believe in you, people who walk away from you. We're going we're gonna to be looking at, at a lot of that during this, uh, during this series. And I think it's always, or I know it's always a rude awakening when you realize that not everyone is as excited about the great things that are happening in your life as you are, right? I don't know if you've ever felt that or had that experience, but it is this incredibly deflating experience when you're excited about something that's happening in your life and you share that, and it's only natural to kind of assume that you think that everyone else will be just as excited as you are. But then you share that information of whatever it is, and then you don't get excitement back. You get cynicism. 
You get somebody who wants to play the devil's advocate. You get somebody who doesn't think it's a good idea. You get somebody who thinks it's not real. And you walk away from that experience totally deflated. Totally deflated. Especially when it's spiritual experiences. Especially when God is doing something great in your life. Especially when God has put a dream in your life. Especially when you feel like God has given you some purpose and you want to pursue those things. When the people who you think will be your biggest supporters not only don't support you, but kind of work against you, you deal with, with just this deflating feeling, emotional uh, emptiness, because you never thought, I mean, people told you that you would have people who would work against you, but you never thought that those people wouldn't be supportive, wouldn't be encouraging. If civilization or humanity has proven anything throughout its history, it's that we don't do well celebrating others. We don't. We somehow always find a way to find something not to celebrate, something to nitpick, and we have just never done well at celebrating others' success or victories. And sometimes, either intentionally or unintentionally, we sabotage other people's success and other people's good news. I mean, we've seen this throughout, throughout history, uh, uh, it doesn't matter what he does, he'll never amount to anything. That's what Albert Einstein's teacher told his father in 1895, right? Children just aren't interested in witches and wizards anymore. That's what a publishing executive told J.K. Rowling when she was trying to pitch her idea for the Harry Potter books, right? Here's somebody walking in and saying, I've got this great idea, I think it will work. And it's like, nah, nah, that won't work. Nobody will read those books, right? This is my favorite. The president of the Michigan Savings Bank uh, was trying to talk investors out of investing in the Ford Motor Company back in, uh, back in uh, 1903. And he said, the, the, the executive said, the horse is here to stay. The car is just a fad. Right? Like here are people who are talking to people with dreams and ideas and Instead of celebrating or encouraging or maybe capitalizing on it, they pick it apart, nitpick it, tell you why it won't work. But we, we see this throughout the Bible as well. David had this crazy belief and faith that he could beat King Saul. That he could defeat Goliath, excuse me. That he could defeat Goliath. And everybody else is standing around. Nobody's fighting. Nobody's accomplishing anything. And David says, hey, I think God has enabled me to kill Goliath. And the way it happens so often is the people who are standing around doing nothing... Tell the people who want to do something that it's not a good idea. And they say, oh, I won't work. And then so, so David goes to King Saul, and King Saul doesn't say, that's awesome. I'm so glad you have courage and belief. He's like, that's a dumb idea. That'll never work. Right? Zacchaeus, uh, or not Zacchaeus, excuse me, Zechariah. Nehemiah. Sorry, get my Bibles messed up. Nehemiah decided to rebuild the Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. And he's called by God. God told him to do it. God had resourced him. God had given him everything that he needed. He was doing exactly what God told him to do. But while he's up there building the wall, the Bible says that there were people from the town who would come out and would yell up at the wall and call them names and tell them they were crazy and tell them that they shouldn't be doing what they were doing. Even Jesus had some doubters, some haters, some criticizers. And I'm not just talking about the religious leaders. There was a day when, when Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, hey, I've got to go to Jerusalem, and I've got to be arrested, and I've got to be killed. And he's talking to 
to his very own disciples. And Peter steps, inside, steps up and is like, no, 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 that's not a good idea. That's not what you're supposed to do. And that's that really famous uh, exchange where, where Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, get behind me, Satan. So if even Jesus, the Son of God, had people who doubted what he was supposed to do and had haters and, and people who, who told him he was wrong for, for thinking he was supposed to do something, then that's going to happen to you and I too. But God wants to do something great in your life. He's got great plans for you. He, he, has, he has great purpose that he wants to put inside of you and that he has put inside of you. And he wants you to do some great things. He wants you to live a life to the fullest, John 10, 10 says. But what you're going to find is that not everyone around you wants you to live a great life. Not everyone around you believes in you as much as maybe you believe in you. Now, when I say great this morning, I don't want you to just think about like being famous. Because maybe when I say great, God wants to do great things in your life or use you to do something great. You think, well, I'll never be famous or, you know, I'm never going to have like this public influence, this public praise. But I don't want you to think about that when I say, when I say great. God has put greatness in each and every one of us. He's put dreams in each and every one of us. And it may not be to be some famous person, but maybe the greatness that God has put in you is, is to be a stay-at-home mom and to raise up kids with incredible godly values. And that's a dream that God's put in your heart, and he wants you to be great at it. Maybe the dream that God's put in your heart, maybe the, the greatness that God's put in you is for you to make some decisions to alter your family tree from this point forward. To, to change the trajectory of your family. Maybe it's in areas of debt or maybe it's in areas of addictions or, 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 or whatever it is, you know, criminal activity or whatever it is. And, and God has put this greatness, this, this purpose, this dream in you to change the trajectory of your family tree. Maybe that's, maybe that's what he's put, put in you. Maybe, maybe it's to start a class or to start a ministry. You have no idea the effect that it will have or the impact that it will have on people. God wants to do something great in you. And God wants to do something great through you. He wants to give you new dreams. He wants to bring old dreams back to life. Here's what you got to know this morning. Is that not everyone will celebrate you. Not everyone will celebrate you when God begins to elevate you. At whatever current state that you're at, as God begins to raise you up, and as God begins to, to inject dreams into your life and purpose into your life and begins to, to elevate you and to, and to raise you up, not everyone's going to celebrate that. And over the next three weeks, what we're going to do with this series is we're going to look at the life of a guy that God did something great in and through. And not just in one of those like church Bible great ways, like historically great ways. God did something incredible in his life, but it was not easy. Along the way, he faced trials, and he faced difficulties, and he faced haters, and he faced discouragement, and he faced, uh, faced people who worked against him. But God knew what he was doing. And God used somebody incredibly normal do something incredibly great. So we're going to be looking in Genesis chapter 37. If you've got a Bible or it's on your phone or whatever you want to use there, go ahead and, and, and flip over to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be reading and talking over the next three weeks about a guy named Joseph. 
pretty famous Bible character. You may have, have heard about him. Uh, but Joseph's dad was named Jacob. And we've talked a lot about Jacob here at the church, but Jacob, Jacob lived an incredibly event-filled life with ups and downs. And, and by the time it was all said and done, Jacob had two wives, two concubines, and 12 sons, okay? That's a pretty, that's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty filled up life, right? Two wives, two concubines, and 12 sons. But regardless of all that family, Jacob's heart was only ever really committed and invested in Rachel. Jacob loved Rachel. It was love at first sight. It's all he ever wanted because of some things that went wrong and he got conned. He ended up getting Leah too and some other things happened. All he ever wanted was Rachel. But Rachel could not have children. God just wouldn't let her, allow her to have kids. And so here is this woman that Jacob loved more than anybody else, but she could not provide him with kids. And so Leah, his sister, started having kids, and then their servant started having kids, and then Rachel's servant started having kids. And 10 kids later, he's got 10 kids and all this stuff going on, but the woman that he loves feels unloved because she's not able to have children. And God hears her as she's crying and praying one day, and allows her to get pregnant and to have kids. And child number 11 of the 12 comes out, and it is a baby boy named Joseph. And from the first moment that Joseph takes his breath, he is loved by his father more than any other of the children. And I mean, it kind of makes sense because Jacob loves Rachel more than anybody else. She finally gives him a son and Jacob loves that son more than anybody else. And so as Joseph is getting older, it's obvious to everyone that Jacob loves him more. I mean, there, there's cer certain ways that we know that. But one of the main ways that we know that is that Jacob gave Joseph this incredibly expensive coat. You may have heard it called the coat of many colors. Historians don't know if it actually had a lot of colors. But we do know that it was an incredibly expensive, uh, fancy coat that you're really only supposed to wear on special occasions. But the Bible says, that, and the historians tell us, that Joseph just wore it all the time. Every time he wore that jacket around, it just kind of symbolized that his father loved him more than anybody else. Another way we know it is that his brothers would be out working in the field, and the Bible said that Joseph would be at the house with his dad. So you have 11 brothers out there working, and then there's Joseph at home just chilling with dad. So as you can imagine, his brothers didn't like him. He's the only one that's got the expensive coat. He's the only one that's not having to go out and, and, and work with his brothers when they're having to work. They don't like Joseph. As Joseph gets older, he starts having these dreams. And dreams actually play a really huge part in Joseph's life as a whole. But early on, he begins to have these dreams. And, and no one's really exactly sure what they mean. But he has one dream where his brothers are bowing down to him. He has another dream where his parents and his brothers are are bowing down to him, and we're not exactly sure, he's not exactly sure, but we know that God has given Joseph this dream that somehow, some way, he's going to rise to a position of power. And he's going to rise to a position of, of influence, and he's going to be more powerful than his parents and his brothers. Now, I'm a younger sibling. How many younger siblings, younger brothers, sisters do we have, babies in the family in here? Yeah, yeah. Okay. How would your family take it if you walked into the kitchen one day and said, hey, guys, listen, uh, one of these days you're all going to bow down to me, right? One of these days you're all going to work for me, okay? I I'm sure you can imagine that didn't go over 
very well. And in Genesis chapter 37, verse 8, Joseph one day is, is describing his dreams that he's having to his family. And it says in verse 8, And they, talking about his brothers, hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. This is not the point of the message today, but I would say that I don't think it's an accident that Joseph was a dreamer. I believe that our kids and the people that we care about, when they know that they're loved, I believe they dream big dreams. And the Bible says here that, that they hated him, one, because of his dreams. And I've always found in my life that, that people who don't dream usually don't like dreamers. They hated him because of his dreams, but not just because of his dreams, but they hated him because of his dreams and the way that he talked about them. So you can have dreams in your head and dreams in your heart, but when you begin to open your mouth and share them is really when you begin to figure out who believes in you and who wants you to succeed and who wants you to do great things. The Bible says his brothers, they hated him. They couldn't stand him. They couldn't stand this kind of drive and arrogance that he had that he was going to be influential and powerful and successful. And the way that the brothers reacted to Joseph really teaches us a principle that's so true for you and I in our lives. And that is that people are never comfortable with you exceeding their expectations of you. Let me say that again because it's a little wordy. People are never comfortable with you exceeding their expectations of you. We all do this. We've just maybe never thought about it or never verbalized it. All of us have expectations of our friends and our family members and the people that we hang out with. Maybe it's like the amount of money somebody should make. Like your friend, or maybe this, is, maybe this happens to you, but, but like, you know, you make, everybody thinks, you know, my expectation of him is that he makes about $40,000 a year. And everybody's fine with you making $40,000 until one day you tell them that you got a raise and now you're making $65,000 a year. And you can't explain it, but all of a sudden it starts getting weird between you. Has that ever happened to anybody? It's like, why? Because you exceeded their expectations of you. Maybe it's the neighborhood you lived in or that you live in. Everybody always assumed you would be in like a 1,200 square foot house in that neighborhood. And then you get a nice house in another neighborhood and you thought all your friends would be really excited about the house that you're living in. But for whatever reason, they're not celebrating you. Why? They could never even probably verbalize this, but let me tell you why. It's because you are now exceeding the expectations that they had for you. We're not comfortable with that. Maybe it's not about material things. Maybe it's the fact that your circle of influence and your family and your friends like you as a drug addict. They like you strung out. They like you needy and dependent. And so you decide, you know what? I'm going to get my life together. I'm going to clean up. I'm not be addicted to drugs anymore, and you think everybody's going to be excited about that great decision, but the people that you spend your time with and the people that you're connected to, their expectations of you is that you'll always be addicted. You'll always be strung out. And they can't even really verbalize why it bothers them, but it bothers them because they didn't expect you to ever be that or to go there. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe, maybe like they always expected that you would be able to get a certain type of person and you ended up getting with some, somebody way more attractive than they thought you'd ever get with, right? And you don't know why everybody's not pumped for you, but they, it, they can't explain it, but they thought you would get like a six and you got a nine and they're like, what? How'd that happen? 
Because all of us have expectations that we put on other people. What we expect them to be. And when they begin to exceed that, or you begin to exceed that, some of the strain between you and your parents, whether they could ever admit it or not, that they love you, but they expected a certain thing out of you, and you begin to exceed that expectation, and you can't explain why they're strain, but they're strain. You're making more money than they are now. You're living in a nicer house than they are now. You're accomplishing more than they are now. And this is not a sermon series about you going, hey, hey, look at me beating your chest saying, I'm awesome. I'm just trying to explain to you why everybody doesn't celebrate you. That there are expectations that they put on you or that they think about you. And whether they ever would say it out loud or not, or whether they intentionally or unintentionally or subconsciously do it, they want to keep you at or beneath their expectations that they have for you. That's what's happening with Joseph's brothers. You can, be, you can be brother number 11, but you can't be brother number one. You can help us work, but you can't be our boss, right? So what do we do with that? How do we deal with the people who are haters? How do we deal with the discouragers? How do we deal with the, the negative people in our lives who are telling us why we're wrong? Anybody, ever, everybody, anybody in here ever uh, felt like that everybody's just trying to fix you? And nobody can celebrate the current version of you. Everybody's just trying to fix you and make you somebody else. How do you deal with the people that, that, uh, that don't celebrate you, that don't encourage you, and you're trying to do something great? Well, I want to give you two things this morning. If you've you got a pen or you know, want to write this down on a piece of paper, maybe put it in your phone. Two things that I think are just so important if we're going to be all that God's called us to be, pursue those dreams that God's called us to pursue, to to go after that purpose and that calling that God's put in our lives. The first thing that I think we got to do is I think we got to hear from God. I think we got to hear from God. And maybe as I say that, you say like, man, Jason, that's, a, that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, duh, we got to hear from God. Or maybe I say that and you think, that's a really weird phrase. I don't even know what that means. What do you mean hear from God? I, I believe that the more time we spend with God, the more dreams he puts in our heart. I believe the more time we spend with God, the more he injects us with purpose and passion and and calling and the things that he wants us he wants us to do. And if I'm not spending time with God, and all I'm getting in my life is the negative voices, and all I'm getting is the cynical voices, and, the, and all I'm getting is the people who tell me why I shouldn't do it, and the people who tell me why I'm not cut out for that, and, and the people who tell me I probably didn't hear from God, or it's not a God idea. If all I'm hearing is that, then I'm just getting emotionally depleted over and over and over again, and I begin to believe my critics. But every time I find myself going back into the presence of God, I find him filling me back up with purpose, filling me back up with calling, filling me back up with dreams. And I leave those moments knowing that I'm called of God. I leave those moments knowing, you know what, I did make the right decision. Listen to me, mom. It gets hectic. It gets stressful being at home with your kids. Or maybe mom who's at work, it gets hectic or stressful coming home from work and having to figure out how to be mom and business person. And, and, and if you're not spending time with God and being reminded about why God has put the purpose in your heart that he put in you, you're going to begin to listen to your critics. Maybe I should quit my job and go home. Maybe I should leave home and go get a job. Maybe my kids aren't listening. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe my kids never will amount to anything. Maybe the, maybe the culture's so bad that my kids will never be great anyway. You got to get back into the presence of God. 
and let God remind you again what he called you to do and the purpose that he's given you. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And I just know me. I know when I'm not spending time with God, I just get shaky. I begin to doubt myself. I begin to doubt and believe what's being said to me. And when I get back in the word of God, listening to Bible teaching, praying, doing some fasting, doing some reading, some good books, doing some writing, getting a way to listen, there's just something that happens and God aligns me. It's kind of like when your car gets out of alignment, right? It's like it just, you know, what's going on? But you get a lot and it just... The Bible says the word is, a, is a, it's my guide, right? It's my guide. So are you prioritizing hearing from God? And I'm not talking about, you know, like God audibly speaking, even though that may happen. I'm talking about ideas in your head. I'm talking about thoughts, reading a scripture and and feeling like there's something in that scripture for you. That's God speaking to you. The Bible is a living, breathing book. It's, so when you read a scripture and you go, man, I think that that means, I think I need to do this with that scripture. That's God speaking to you. So almost every morning of my life, I don't say this to brag, but I just know that God's called me to something. And I want to make sure I stay on that path almost every morning. I'm reading my Bible, and I've got a little notebook that I keep, and I just, I'm just writing down a verse that stood out to me and what, why I think that's important and what I think that means to me and writing down a simple prayer. And every morning is not this, like, ooh, you know, experience. But built up over time, day after day after day after day, God is speaking. Not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a believer, Because I have a relationship with God. And he wants to do the same thing for you. And let me tell you what's so incredible. Sometimes I'll just go flipping back through there. I'm like, oh, that was eight months ago when I was doubting what God had put on my heart. And now I look back at it. And and just reading that again just fills me back up with the confidence that God has called me to something great. He's put some purpose in my life. He's put some dreams in, in my life. Every time I flip back through that book and I see the prayers that I've written down for my daughter's. God reminds me again, there's greatness out there. There's purpose out there. So are you hearing from God? Are you positioning yourself in a place to go, God, fill me back up, speak to me. Listen, I I love that you come to church. I think it's life-changing that you come to church. But a 30-minute sermon every seven days isn't going to cut it. You got to spend time with Jesus if you want to accomplish something great with Jesus. Because he's got to fill you up. He's got to make you believe again. And there are some times that I believe at 8.30 a.m. And by 2 p.m., I don't know if I believe anymore. (laughs) It's been tough meeting after tough meeting after tough conversation. And then I called somebody up hoping they would blow some wind in my sails and encourage me. And they told me it was something was wrong. And I I just, I got to get back. I got to come in the sanctuary and just pray. And I'm not praying so that God would do something for me. I'm doing, I'm just praying so that God can just breathe into me again. Breathe into me again, God. I don't feel like it today, God, but will you just remind me again that you do want to do something great in my life? That you do love the current version of me, that you're not trying to just fix me. We got to hear from God. It's the first thing. Second thing, how do we deal with the haters in our life? How do we deal with the, the criticizers in our life? 
The second thing is blast them on Facebook. I'm sorry, that wasn't right. Um, that was the wrong. That was not the right point. Number two, find encouragers. Find encouragers. If you want to do something great for God, you want to have dreams, you want to have purpose, you've got to find people who encourage you more than they criticize you. And it's so easy to criticize, and we have never lived in a more criticizing culture. And with social media, we get instant feedback, you know. We're watching the CMA Awards the other night. Singer's not even through 30 seconds of the song. Oh, my God, terrible, right? And I was doing that, too. And it's just, it's just instant feedback, instant criticism, right? And the thing about people who criticize you is they don't think they're criticizing you. They think they're helping you. But can I ask you a question? And, and this is true for us. We need to be encouragers. Have any of us ever, our lives ever been changed dramatically because somebody just ripped us a new one? Somebody just chewed us out, told us how worthless we were? Or when you look back on your life, were you changed because people believed in you and encouraged you and helped you to rebuild after you messed up or helped you to work on things while encouraging you, but also helping you? We've got to find encouragers in our life. We've got to find people who encourage us but don't always agree with us. I'm not just talking about people who tell you it's a good idea. If you're trying to buy a new car and you don't have any money, you need somebody in your life to say, don't do that. That's stupid, Right? But the reason they can speak into you is because they also have built up equity in their encouragement of you. And so you listen to them. Proverbs 19.20 says, get all the advice and instruction you can so you'll be wise the rest of your life. Listen, get advice. Get people in your life who aren't just going to always tell you you're doing the right thing. Or if you're in the wrong, they'll tell you you're in the wrong. But always make sure they're encouraging you. Always make sure that they're encouraging you. Find encouragers who are still going to stand by you when you have to learn the hard way. Aren't going to leave on you, run out on you. They're still going to encourage you even when you're making the wrong decision. Even when they know that you didn't make the right decision, they stand by you. They stand by you. And it's one of the hardest things we can do. Maybe you've been in that position to be standing there watching somebody go down the wrong path. We need people in our lives who encourage us. Even when we decide to marry the wrong person, they stand by us. And then when we have to move our stuff out, they come help us move our stuff out, right? We got to have those people in our lives. Encouraging. I'm proud of you. I believe in you. No news is not just good news. You don't get to just only talk when it's negative. You got to encourage I believe in you. I'm proud of you. You're doing great. God's got great plans for your life. And the more encouragement that you get, the more you walk upright and believe that you can do something great. That your dreams can come true. That your calling can be fulfilled. That you're not just going to stay where you are because there are people around you who believe in you. You know, the first 20-so years of my life, I didn't really seek a lot of encouragers because I believed in myself enough for everybody. And uh, that, you know, was not the best. But the more that I began to pastor and lead and grow my family, you know, I, I just began to doubt myself more, critique myself more. And God just began to bring encouragers into my life. One of the biggest encouragers God's ever brought in my life is Cecil Green, one of our co-pastors here. I remember when 24 years old, nobody thought, I mean, not nobody, but 
the people who were the decision makers thought that I shouldn't be one of the pastors of the church. People who loved for me, cared about me, I thought would be excited. We're not. That's deflating. And I remember we'd go to lunch all the time and Cecil would say, Jay, I believe in you, man. God, God you're called to this, man. God's going to do great things. And I would just leave those lunches going, first of all, I'd be going, thank God somebody believes in me. The second of all, you just leave feeling like, you know what? God did call me to this. I can do this. We got to leave some lunches sometimes believing we can instead of leaving lunches being told why we can't, you know? You got to find encouragers. I got pastors in my life right now that I'll call on some Mondays or Tuesdays when I'm feeling down in the dumps about something. And they'll just say, you know what, Jason? God's doing something incredible in you. God's doing something incredible in that church. Don't you doubt it? Don't you think it's not going to happen? And when I get off those phone calls, I go, you know what? They're right. God is going to do something great. God is doing something great. If all, if all the time you spend with is your girlfriends who talk about how awful their marriages are and how men are pigs and men are worthless, you need to find a new group of friends. You need to find some ladies in your life that say, you know what? Marriage is great. I'm married to a man of God, called of God, believe, telling you how to believe and pray for and and because you'll leave that exchange higher. And I could talk more about this, but listen, you got to have encouragers in your life. If you want to do something great for God, you cannot do it by yourself. you got to have some cheerleaders and some fans who are saying, you can do it. Go for it. Go for it. You can do it. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, whatever course you decide upon, there's always someone to tell you that you're wrong. There's always difficulties arising which tempt you to believe that your critics are right. To map out a course of action and follow it to an end requires courage. I just so passionately believe that God wants to just do something great in your life, to use you for something, some, some purpose that's great. I just believe that there are dreamers in here. I believe there are business ideas in here that God wants to have explode so he can use that to fund the kingdom of God. I believe there are moms in here and dads in here who are going to raise up children who are going to make an incredible difference around the world for the kingdom of God. I believe that there are teachers in here who should be leading groups and teaching classes because you don't even realize yet the, the gift that you have to explain the Bible to people who struggle with it. But if you're going to ever do that, you're going to have to be ready to face people who maybe intentionally or unintentionally will tell you that you can't. I had the awesome opportunity Friday night to go to um, James Taylor concert down at the Yum Center. Bucket list item for me. Always wanted to do that. But, you know, 10 years into marriage, you know, he came to Atlanta when we were just dating. We were broke and, you know, we had no money. Couldn't go to see that concert. So we just always a bucket list item. Want to go see James Taylor and... I'm a huge James Taylor fan, and uh, one of our favorite songs, like everybody else in the world, is uh, You've Got a Friend. So we, Andrea loves to sing that around the house. She sings it to the girls, you know, and, and stuff when they're babies. She's singing it to them, and, and um, so we sing it around the house. And our daughter, Nora, our almost three-year-old daughter, Nora, loves that song, loves that song. And lately, she has fallen in love with singing that song to her new baby brother, Solomon. Yeah, it's that cute. Yes, it is. She'll sing that song. And I actually, the other day, grabbed my phone and just hit record without her knowing it. 
to, to hear. I actually brought a copy of it. I want you guys to hear it. Play that, play that track for us. Right? So good. So good. And so, yeah, it's that incredible, too, watching it happen. And so we got to go to the concert Friday night and um, waiting on that song because we wanted to get some video of it to show the girls. And, I, you know, it was one of the last songs we sang. And, and uh, I've heard the song a million times. I, I've heard the song a million times. But knowing, I don't know, it's just kind of the way it works, knowing what I was preaching on and knowing what we were talking about, I'm listening to James Taylor sing this song, and the words to the bridge just hit me like a two-by-four across the face. And this is what the words to that bridge says. Hey, ain't it good to know you've got a friend? People can be so cold. They'll hurt you and desert you. Listen, they'll take your soul if you let them, but don't you let them. I mean, I know this ain't like a psalm or something, but it's James Taylor. It's really close. (laughs) People can be so cold. They'll hurt you, desert you. They'll take your soul if you let them, but don't you let them. If you want to do something great for God, if you want God to put dreams in your heart and purpose in your heart, and you want to accomplish something great, don't let the naysayers take your belief your confidence, your calling away from you. You keep putting yourself on your face to hear from God. You keep putting couragers around your life and keep striving and going towards what God has called you to pursue and to do. Let's pray. God, I just, I pray this morning, God, that you would... Breathe new dreams into our heart. God, I pray that you would bring old dreams back to life. I pray for the people in here this morning, God, who maybe gave up on their dream at some point in their life. Maybe the people who once believed that you were going to use them to do something great, but made some bad decisions, went down some wrong paths, and threw in the towel. God, would you just today, once again, would you just breathe a new dream into their heart? God, I pray for the people who quit because all the people told them they should and tell them they couldn't make it. God, I just pray you would put a new dream in their heart. Refresh that dream, God. And help us to stay on task. Help us to stay focused on what you've called us to do, God. I pray that people who are called God would feel it this morning. People would have a new sense of purpose this morning, a new sense of confidence for what you're wanting to do with them and in them and through them. In Jesus' name. Everybody's heads bowed, everybody's eyes closed, nobody looking around. But maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Jason, you've been talking about God doing something great and you've been talking about dreams and I so desperately want that, but I don't even, I don't have a relationship with God. I don't know Jesus. Maybe I did it one time and 
But I got, I've walked so far away, I don't even know how to describe what it is that I have with Jesus. But here's what I know. I want God to be the Savior of my life, the Lord of my life. I want Him to guide me, and I want to live my life for Him. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and we're not going to embarrass you or make you stand up or come down front. We're just going to simply pray a prayer together. But if you're here today and you would say, Jason, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to believe in Him Ask him to forgive my sins and start a new life today with Jesus. Would you just raise your hand and make eye contact with me? Yeah, just stay right there. They're bringing you a little bag. You can put your hand down. Anybody else should say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. You can put it down. Anybody else should say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Tired of living my way, doing my thing. Just a few more seconds. I want to live for Jesus Christ. Will everybody stand up with me this morning? Listen, we're going to pray a prayer together. I'm going to ask everybody to pray it with me so we can give some confidence and boldness to those who raised their hand. And maybe you didn't raise your hand. You were scared. You're nervous. You didn't know. You're not exempt. If you pray this prayer and you believe it with all your heart, you believe what you're saying to be true, then Jesus Christ is going to save you, make you a new person. You're going to start a new life today. So will everybody just pray this with me? Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I am a sinner. Please save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. The next time I fall, help me to get back up and run to you and not away from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Can we put our hands together and celebrate those who gave their heart to Christ this morning? Come on, let's celebrate.